I, I should take it away. <sighs> okay. I'll shoot this time. I'll make sure I actually mention your name off the top. Instead of going right to Robert. I mean, you do you dog. Like I can't tell you how to introduce me, but I was, I'll be honest. I was taken aback by the events of last week. I, I got demoted from my own podcast. Austin also like Pete last year would rap a little bit before we got started. If you need to get any of that out of your system. That's true. If you want to get into the zone. I think, uh, I think I'm good on that. All right, welcome back to the DI Scoreboard. We are back for another week of action. Um, Iowa and Michigan State are behind us. Iowa and Minnesota is ahead. I will start this week by doing things properly and welcoming my co-host, Shivancha Hoosier, to the podcast first. I, I appreciate the, uh, the respect I'm finally getting, but I don't think you'd want to introduce me first when I bring up how quickly – your Iowa goes 0-9 take was just mutumboed back into your face on Saturday. Um, I, so far, I think I'm winning the takes the takes scoreboard on this podcast. All right, you're off the pod. Uh, <laughs> My name's on it. <laughs> I'll have Kaylee redesign the logo. Fair enough. <laughs> just kidding. Shavanch does too much editing and stuff that I don't know how to do. To- <laughs> Okay, uh, we are also joined by a mainstay of this podcast, pregame editor, breaking news specialist, Robert Reed. How are we doing? It's good to be back for yet another week. I think my name might have to be added to the podcast pretty soon, but we can talk about that later. We'll put like a graphic sticky note that says Robert Reed and Robert Reed at the bottom of it. I, I take that. <laughs> we are also joined by a very special guest, former DI pregame editor, former DI sports editor, and now current associate editor with the Action Network, Pete Rudin. What is up? Hi, Austin. The sky (laughs) is up, I believe. (laughs) (sighs) Well, in in my case, it's the ceiling. Or the ceiling. The the ceiling is the roof. (laughs) Good to be back. (sighs) Okay. Speaking of ceilings, no, I, I mean, I can use that tradition. We can use that transition, but what is the ceiling for Ohio State now that they're only playing eight <laughs> games instead of nine? The reach, but I suppose it just means they can only win eight games this regular season instead of winning nine. <laughs> or wait, so, it, it's an eight-game regular season and then the ninth one. Oh, whatever. They can win one. They'll win eight games. games. No, you're right. Regardless, Unless I, I heard this. Um, this conspiracy theory going around on Twitter, which deserves to be talked about here. Let's just say Indiana uh, has a COVID outbreak before the Ohio State game. They don't play that game, play rest of the season, go undefeated, make the Big Ten championship game instead of Ohio State. I mean, we're, we're just going full 2020 with Indiana in the Big Ten championship game. That's, I mean, they got Penn State out of the way to dispatch them. So yeah, Ohio State would be the only team in their way. I don't like that, that six game minimum rule because it feels i don't know it just rubs me the wrong way it's like okay you can just quote unquote opt out of your two hardest games and then still go undefeated but this is it's the big fun. 10 it's not like every team's a powerhouse you got two games that you got that you want to avoid everyone knows who those two teams are and uh you know i don't get it i mean i like the strategy right if you can just say you know what we're not gonna play our toughest game we're gonna pass on this one uh without forfeit by the way um so exactly like that's the that's the hardest part it's without a forfeit 
<laughs> and, and in case anyone has no idea what we're referring to at this moment, we're, we're talking about Ohio State and Maryland's game being canceled this week because Maryland's got a lot of uh, coronavirus in their program right now. One other conspiracy theory I've seen is that Ohio State go. should play Alabama, but the Big Ten vetoed Nebraska's attempt to play the incredibly heralded University of Tennessee Chattanooga um, to replace their lost game against Wisconsin. So, I mean, I don't see how they could just make an exception here. Although it'd be, it would be absolutely hilarious for the Big Ten to side with Ohio State and say, yeah, do what you want, but, you know, for, for Nebraska, tell Nebraska to, to get lost. I mean, who doesn't want to see Alabama, Ohio State this week, but we know it's not going not gonna to happen with yeah. how the conference is looking at that sort of thing. And, like, do Alabama and Ohio State want to play each other when they find out the Wednesday before that the game could be happening? I, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. It's weird how good teams generally don't want to play good teams in college football, um, <laughs> at least not until the postseason. Um, that's kind of the status quo. But, hey, you know what? It is what it is. All right, Pete, uh, let's get your thoughts on Ohio State and Maryland while we're here. You want to know what I'm most disappointed about? I wanted to see two quarterbacks, two future Heisman winners, one guaranteed future Heisman winner in Talia. That's how his name's pronounced, right? Yeah, Talia. Talia Tagovailoa and Justin Fields. And now we don't get to see that. And my heart shattered into like 12 pieces. I think I'm going to leave Pete alone on that take, Island. I am not ready to say that Talia Tagovailoa is going to win the Heisman. Uh, you know, same. But with, with a name like that, that's so fun to say. And the bloodline he comes from, you can't bet against him. He's got a point. Pete's an expert on betting, actually. I don't know if I'm an expert. Yeah, I don't think legally we are. It's This is for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> one. Get sued. <laughs> okay, so now I know we want to talk about Iowa's 2025 football schedule really quick. Robert mentioned it off the top. Iowa's playing UMass, and apparently UMass has a football team. Yeah, they're playing Massachusetts, and they are playing Florida Atlantic in the 2025 uh, football season, which completes the team's uh, slate for that year. I'd just like to point out that we have Iowa's 2025 football schedule, but we don't have Iowa men's or women's basketball schedules for this season yet. Or wrestling. Uh, Or wrestling, yeah. Let's just keep throwing them out there. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so just to make sure that's, that's in there, but yeah, they'll, they'll be playing Florida Atlantic to open the season in 2025 on August 30th. And then interestingly enough, they'll be playing UMass on November 15th, which is the third to last game of the regular season. And I, I, I think the, the thinking behind that is Iowa has a brutal, at least on paper, a brutal schedule in September of 2025 playing at Iowa State, at Wisconsin, and hosting Ohio State. Uh, so maybe the thinking is get a little bit of an uh, easier matchup in the home stretch of the season by scheduling UMass, which, again, we found out has a football program. Well, Ohio State, they just have to wear their alternate uniforms and then they're set for that game. True. The others that I'd be concerned about. There is no tradition more sacred in college football than a tune-up game for a good team. Um, every every team has one that's in the Power Five, at least one, sometimes more, and Iowa is getting two of them in there. But, again, UMass late in the season, 
not much of a warm-up game if you're playing them in November. This is the part, though, where you hope that Lane Kiffin gets fired and goes back to Florida <laughs> at Atlantic. Can you imagine? I, w- I wish there was a way Lane Kiffin and Kirk, assuming Kirk would still be around by 2025, oh, could have a press conference together because that would just be a good time. Kirk's contract expires in 24, correct? Or maybe Iowa will just hire Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin following Kirk would be something. But anyway, let's let's talk Iowa Minnesota really quick. There's only one of us here that's going. It's Robert. Robert, I know Iowa's had their troubles defending receivers with the exception of last week. This week they've got Rashad Bateman. How do you see this playing out for Iowa this week? Yeah, obviously, uh, even with Rondale Moore out in week one, David Bell, to put it lightly, gave uh, the Iowa secondary some problems uh, on his way to a three touchdown performance. You know, obviously, Bateman is up there with one of the best as one of the best receivers in the Big Ten. And he's got a quarterback in Tanner Morgan who can get the ball to him. But, uh, you know, aside from a couple deep balls last week, the Iowa secondary looked pretty good. Um, Kayvon Merriweather's in there now as the starting strong safety, which has allowed Dane Belton to play more time at the cash position. But I think the big thing in week one was communication. Uh, you saw that on Bell's last touchdown. He was basically wide open in the end zone. Uh, I think that's probably uh, fixed up a little bit, which, you know, it kind of needs to be when you're playing all these Big Ten games. But, you know, it, it'll be interesting. It's, it's Iowa's first opportunity again to play another top tier receiver in the conference. So, uh, you know, whether they're putting Hankins on him, um, or just shifting the zone that way a little bit. It, it'll be interesting to see how uh, how Phil Parker in the Iowa defense responds to uh, the challenge that Bateman is, as well as, you know, defending a Minnesota running game that's looked really good this season. So this week there was a question asked during the press conference when they were like, how do you simulate what, you know, and how do you defend, how do you prepare and practice for what Minnesota does in the running game? And I wanted to be like, don't worry, I'll field this question for the player. Iowa has Tyler Goodson. I'm I'm pretty sure he can he can simulate for the defense. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing, and it, it's something Minnesota had success with last year. Not necessarily a whole lot against Iowa. I mean, Minnesota only, only Minnesota only scored 19 points in last year's matchup, but the RPO game not something you necessarily see a whole lot of in uh, in Big Ten conference play. The run pass option, but you know, as Nick Neiman said this week, as Jack Kerner said this week, you you got to make some pretty quick decisions uh, going up against an offense like that. Your reads have to be very accurate. Otherwise you'll be in the wrong place and they can get an easy play out of it. But you know, it's a new challenge compared to some of the offenses like Northwestern, for example, that I was played the season or the spread look of Purdue, but, Again, new challenge. We'll see if uh, Iowa can bring Floyd home for a sixth season in a row. Pete, you were there last year in the press box. I was down on the field getting trampled uh, when the students stormed the field. But that's a story for another time. Well, how well, do you see this game playing out? Them storming the field. But. Yeah, I was looking on like, nah, don't really need to storm here. But <laughs> he they were favored folded. in the game. He had his arms folded. Just <laughs> yeah, just scowling <laughs> at the fans. You've been dominating Minnesota of late. You were favored coming into the game. You're also a ranked team. I don't know. I didn't think us. I don't necessarily think storming the field was granted, but I digress. It made a great photo for me. I ran, I, I sprinted up those steps. I'll uh, well, I'll open this question up for debate for the entire podcast. Is Robert anti-fun? Yes. yes. <laughs> so that's overwhelmingly yes. I won't I'm anti-fun. answer that. 
if I'm anti-fun, does that explain why I come on this podcast every week? Oh. All right, this was fun, guys. I'll, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to officially retire. <laughs> Robert, we stayed at a haunted hotel together, right? We're fine. We did. We did. We do like fun. Have you, have you guys noticed how bad Minnesota's defense is? Yes. It's really quite bad. It's yeah. really bad. Do you want to know what it ranks nationally in defensive efficiency per football outsiders? I'd love to. 154th. There's not that many teams, but close. <laughs> close. 109. Do you want to know what it ranks in opponent offensive touchdown rate? Let me hear it. It ranks 112th. Want to hear some notable teams that it ranks ahead of? Yes. Sure. One of the or some of the 11 teams that it ranks ahead of? Hit me. Okay. UMass. They have a football Akron. team. They have a football team. Akron, Kansas, Southern Miss. They're not very good on defense. You know, I, I, once you kept saying those things, I was like, man, Minnesota really is quite bad on defense this year. Vanderbilt is one spot ahead of Minnesota. You know, and you look at a Minnesota defense last year with a guy like Winfield in the secondary, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, he – He's balling with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now. It's apparent that he, among some of the other starters they lost, they're missing them quite a bit right now. A little bit. So when we're talking about how bad Minnesota's defense supposedly is, right, what, what are our expectations for Spencer Petras this week? We've talked about him every week. We've debated is he, is he good or bad or what is he. Um, obviously last week he s- still missed some wide open receivers on occasion. I guess what do we expect from him this week? You know, I, I think the big thing is, obviously, you know, he's getting Amir Smith-Marset back this week after um, Smith-Marset was suspended for one game following his OWI arrest. And, you know, having one of the premier receivers Iowa's had in the last decade or so is, is going to be a big boost to an offense. But, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be a disappointing display from Iowa's offense if they can't sc- um, score a lot of points, as they did last week, uh, especially after Pete listed all those statistics and how much uh, Minnesota is struggling on the defensive side of the ball this season. But, you know, eventually I I, kind of keep waiting for things to start clicking for him. You know, he's still only had three starts. I feel like we just keep adding to that number every week. Still only had X amount of starts, but he's only had three starts. Maybe maybe one of these days will be his breakout game, and that could be uh, against Minnesota um, on the road. But who knows? We'll see how uh, Smith-Marset, Brandon Smith, Tyrone Tracy and company, all the other targets he has, how he can spread the ball around and hopefully uh, have some good connections with him. I like that we're coming off a 49 to seven win and we're waiting for his breakout game. (laughs) 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 Well, when, when no, no, I totally agree. I totally totally agree. The defense, I think the defense cannot be understated in that Michigan state game, um, flipping the field uh, the way they did defense and special teams. Um, That helped a lot. And it's not going to be as easy going against, Tanner Morgan and, uh, and, and co as it were. So you're right. It's going to be a lot more on Petrus's shoulders. And I think he's getting a nice defense to go against. He's getting his weapon back as Robert mentioned. Yeah. I think this will be a much more balanced game than, uh, than last week. I mean, I, I just, I can never tell what my expectation should be for him. Um, I like Robert said, I just keep waiting for it to click. I'm like, he'll get it. He'll get it. He'll get it. But he keeps missing on short and intermediate throws. And it's, they're like, oh, you know, you watch the game announcers are like, well, he's got to develop his touch pass. I'm like, well, if you're a quarterback, I, I figure that's, that's day one. Not nah, bullet every complete pass. the touch pass. <laughs> um, but we can move into a topic that uh, Shavanch has a much 
deeper breadth of knowledge on than I do. We can talk F1 really quick. Yeah, we can. Man, I'll just turn be... my mic off now. <laughs> I'm going to be upset. Well, I bring this up this week. A, because the, the F1 season's about to wrap. There's only four more rounds left. Um, and B, Pete Rudin is probably the closest thing to an, a fellow F1 knowledgeable guest on this podcast that we're going to get. And that's only because I send him F1 memes every so often. <laughs> Everything I learned, I learned from you. Exactly. And so I just wanted to take a look and sort of describe the state of F1. It's not in a great spot right now, just competitive-wise. It's Mercedes once again. It's going to be Mercedes again next year. To the extent that if Lewis Hamilton was not on Mercedes, if he was just his own team, he would still win the Constructors' Championship over all the other teams. That's how dominant they've been at this point normally really nice to see, especially with the the social justice and off-track messaging that Lewis Hamilton is really pushing for this year. It's always nice to see him do well in that regard. I'm always going to see him as one of the best drivers of all time. But since 2014, Mercedes has won every year uh, as a constructor. Lewis Hamilton has won all every year except for one when Nico Rosberg uh, took over in 2016. When the sport's biggest battle is for third place, where three teams are divided by one point. Uh, that's that's an issue. There's an issue in competitiveness there. They got hard, hit really hard with COVID in that the cars are going to be exactly the same, save maybe one or two major upgrades for next year. So I don't anticipate a different result next year. I think Mercedes is going to run away, excuse me, drive away with it uh, very quickly. And I don't think we're going to get a competitive fight for first place until at least 2022 when the new cars come in so as an f1 fan the cost cap isn't going to be doing a whole lot next year in 2022 when it comes into effect it will be a much bigger impact to the teams i'm still going to watch every race it's still that ingrained in me and you still love to see anything happening in the midfield the midfield is far more exciting than the front at this point but that's um. If we want to talk about a Patriots dynasty over the last couple of decades, you want to talk about a you know the mid 2010s when Golden State and Cleveland were in the finals for four years in a row. The same F1 team has won the constructors' championship seven times in a row, and it's not going to change until Red Bull wins it. Red Bull, Red Bulls. No one knows if Red Bull's going to stay in F1 after next year because no one they don't knows have, if you're going to stay an F1 fan. I certainly next. will, but F1 doesn't have an engine because Honda's pulling out. So F1 I, doesn't have an engine. Sorry, excuse me. Red Bull doesn't have an engine. <laughs> F1 <laughs> that would be a boring sport. <laughs> if they're all just sitting on the starting grid, so like. <laughs> No, Red Bull. Red Bull's um, engine supplier Honda is pulling out of F1 after the 2021 season, and so it's up to them to find a new supplier. And if they can't, then no one knows what they're going to do. Things you hate to see that. Things you love to see: potential Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton pairing at Mercedes. On Red Bull. If Red Bull's a team, dude. <laughs> if you're a team. I'm not a team. I'm okay. A fine. Change it from Red Bull to Bang. <laughs> Red Bull to insert energy drink here. <sighs> All right, I've I'm stepping down from my soapbox. We're we're hopping back on the no free ads train, Johnsonville. If you're listening, we didn't mean that. Um, Johnsonville F1. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing like a brat company sponsoring an F1 <sighs> an F1 race team. Is that what they are? An F1 race team? I mean, you can leave they're this called, in to show my blatant. They're, they're called constructors, technically. Okay. So there's, there's ten constructors, and each constructor has two drivers, so twenty drivers. So. It's it's not Joe Gibbs and uh, Richard Petty over there race no. team. It's it's constructors. It's constructors. You got it. Uh, so so moving back to Iowa, 
and a little something I actually know more about. Um, Robert wants to talk about men's and women's hoops starting up soon, and I would assume we're going to talk about how, as you mentioned earlier, we don't have a schedule for that. Yeah, it'd be nice to uh, to figure those out pretty soon, considering in about two weeks both seasons will be uh, starting up. Uh, I, I mean, you know, you know most of the schedule. You have a good idea of what the Big Ten season's going to look like. For the men's team, you know, they're they're playing Gonzaga, North Carolina, and Iowa State in the non-conference games, uh, among a couple others. Um, but, you know, it, it, there's just something about having a schedule on paper to uh, start planning and writing about that would be uh, helpful right now. But, you know, we'll, we'll get to that pretty soon. But, yeah, I think, obviously, there there's a lot of anticipations in a couple different ways for the men's and women's teams. Obviously, the men's team ranked fifth in the AP poll. You've got the national player of the year favorite and Luca Garza could be the best men's team I was had in decades. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of excitement there. And then from the women's standpoint for the second season, they're dealing with, well, we just lost our big 10 player of the year. What do we do now? But I think it's very intriguing to see how Caitlin Clark steps in to the starting point guard position and immediately contributes. Uh, you know, she was one of the top recruits in the nation. So seeing what she can do in the big 10 right away, you know, let's see if she keeps up her uh, her dominant stretch as a Hawkeye. Yeah, I did want to talk about that really quick because we've talked so much about Iowa wrestling and how they're in contention to win a national title, men's basketball, how they're in contention to win a national title this year. We're all kind of overlooking women's basketball right now. Which is um, a weird thing to say considering how well they've been in just recent years. Yeah, one of our reporters wrote, um, a story about how a fanless season might impact them. We haven't even talked about how they're on a 36-game home winning streak right now, and we're not even talking about that at this point. I don't want. I, I just don't think we should overlook any Lisa Bluter coached Iowa team um, because I feel like they'll be right there in the Big Ten again this year, even if they weren't in the you know preseason Big Ten ratings, even if they weren't here, there, or another place in national media and all these other places aren't talking about them. I feel like I feel like it's time we put some respect on Iowa women's basketball, yeah, um, and, at least in this case. And one of us on this podcast wrote a project about Lisa Bluter, but I think a, a point to talk about. <laughs> yeah, correct. Um, you know, I, I was got a lot of you know decorated, accomplished coaches right now. You can make a pretty good case that Lisa Bluter is the best coach at the University of Iowa right now across a variety of sports, just with the things she's um, accomplished over her very long career and some of the obstacles. It, it seems like even like last year's team, I don't know who was expecting that Iowa team to be in contention for the Big Ten, especially after losing Gustafson, but that team was. And I feel like that's just something you always get from Bluter, even if there aren't super high expectations attached to a given team. You're always going to see a team that's competitive and is defying those expectations. Then, you know, like a couple years ago, you'll have a team with the best player in the nation and um, one of the best teams in the nation. But Lisa Bluter Appreciation Podcast segment right now. Shabash, I know, I know you want to weigh in on this Lisa Bluter talk since you wrote a project on her. Of, I mean, of, of all of us, you probably know her best. Uh, there's not a whole lot left to say is that, yeah, I, I, the way that she coaches, the way that she sort of in, installed a mindset into that team, it's impossible to write off any team that she's the leader of. One thing I do want to bring attention to is the beginning of last season with the amount of, I wouldn't say struggles, but they were trying to get those young players you know, accustomed to playing in bigger games like that, which is why I think they got off to a rockier start than expected. But 
later on through the season, they really they really held their own. And so I'm excited to see how this recruiting class does um, with that leadership. Yeah, I think I think that's really interesting thing you bring up. Like Lisa Bluter is also an um, underestimated recruiter, I guess you could say. I mean, Iowa today just officially signed another top 20 recruiting class. I, I don't know. I mean, it includes the number 47 player in the country per ESPNW. Jan Jansen and Lisa Bluter are doing a great job not only coaching that team and helping them play above their expectations, but they're actually bringing in really talented players. Robert mentioned Caitlin Clark and how people expect her to just contribute immediately and be a superstar, essentially. And by all accounts, it seems like she can be at this point. We haven't seen her play yet. Every time the DI has put out a story about this freshman class, there's always been coaching that, you know, whoever they talk to exudes confidence about Caitlin Clark. Um, and this team is, they're not going to just be overlooked, essentially. No. They're going to be prepared. They're going to play hard. They're going to play, I, I don't want to say, like, be redundant, but polluter basketball. I say something about Caitlin Clark? No. Okay, then never. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Pete. Nope, I'm done. Just kidding. Okay. Uh, I covered uh, – one of Caitlin Clark's game last year, Dowling versus City High. I left walking away very impressed. She can pull from anywhere and just make plays. And I'm really excited to see what she does at the Big Ten level because I personally think she's going to live up to all of the hype that's surrounding her. You know, Pete, when you're talking about hype right there, the past three seasons you've been a you were a beat reporter for the Daily Iowa. And on the men's basketball team, um, do you think that uh, the expectations – it almost seems impossible for the men's team to live up to expectations this year, but do you think we're going we're gonna to see what Hawkeye fans are expecting? I don't think there's a reason not to. And if anything's going to slow them down, it's going to be defense. I mean, that starting lineup has five guys who can shoot. Everyone can make plays pretty much. Everyone can can score. Obviously, Luca's back. Bo Hannon's back. Glue guy, Connor McCaffrey's back. That's going to be big, I think. And I don't think many people are really talking about that. And I think with C.J. Frederick potentially being the fourth option on that team, that just shows how deep they are. On what other team is C.J. Frederick going to be a fourth option in the Big Ten? Not very many. Yeah, I was just going to say the depth, as Fran McCaffrey said numerous times, the depth on this team is just amazing. And there's several different combinations they can go with, you know, since they're getting guys like Jack Nungy back, Joe Toussaint's likely had to do a bench roll this season after, um, you know, being forced into the starting lineup last year. There's a lot of options for Fran to work with. I'm, I'm excited to see how he tinkers with the lineup a little bit in different situations. You know, when he goes big and has Nungy and, and Luca in there, um, or playing maybe a little bit of not small ball, but playing Connor at the four as he did uh, at times la throughout last season. Uh, yeah. A lot of combinations that could, could really work. And, you know, Luca's obviously the, the top scoring option, but it seems like on any given night, it could be two or three other guys who step up into that role. I was just going to say, it's going to be interesting how they incorporate Jordan Bohannon into the offense since he only played in 10 games last year. Because he's a guy who, he's going to need his uh, sh shots and he's going to need the opportunity to get shots up because that's the biggest part of his game, his shooting. And he's a guy who can make plays and and distribute the ball. Maybe not as well as Connor McCaffrey, but he can do it. But that's still not the biggest part of his game. So 
it's going to be difficult, I think, managing him, Wieskamp, Garza, and Frederick and getting them all shots. I think it's possible, especially with how teams are going to play Garza. It'll bring other people open. That was the question I was actually going to ask Pete about. I mean, what do you expect this lineup to look like, the starting lineup at least? Robert mentioned that there's a bunch of options. I mean, how do you rotate these guys in and out? How do you determine who's best for what situation? How do you sort that out if your friend McCaffrey, when like he said before, he has like 15 guys that he could put on the court at any given time this year? He should not put 15 guys on the court at any given time, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I mean, Pete, I, we can hear from you too. I think the most popular uh, starting five combo that's being thrown around is seeing Jordan, Connor, CJ, Wieskamp, and Garza out there as a starting five. And then there's also the potential – you know, if they're playing a, a bigger team to have Nunji fit in there um, and take, I don't know, probably Connor or Jordan to the bench. Um, yeah, lots of intriguing options. And Iowa seems like they can really match up with anyone with this depth, too. It feels like they can go any – there's nothing out there that they should be afraid of um, in this situation. I don't think the Hawkeyes have anything to worry about in terms of, well, we can't match up and defend or we don't have the offense for X team. Um, they, they've got a bevy of tools they can call upon. Oh, yeah, they've, they've definitely got – I don't know how their offense could be any better than it looks like it's going to be this season. And defensively, a guy like Connor McCaffrey does provide a ton of versatility in, you know, who he can guard on the court, basically one through four. And, you know, C.J. Frederick was really impressive, I thought, as a perimeter defender last year in his first time – his first year getting playing action for Iowa. So I, I think those two pieces are really key on the perimeter. Um, and we know Garza has talked about a lot about his scoring increase last year and everything, but he looked like a much better defender in the paint too. And I think his block shot total reflect that and just how teams were a little more hesitant in the paint with him in there. Um, so Iowa's offense is obviously the talking point right now, but defensively there's, there's definitely the guys there where they could be, you know, a solid and more than solid defensive team too. So I guess cut it up for me in this way, Robert and Pete, there's one one last question I want to ask. End of the day, we come to the end of Iowa season. Where in the road do you guys see that being? A lot of people are automatically just going to be like, yep, Final Four National Championship, or they're going to go straight there. Obviously, Iowa hasn't been there before. They've never been this good before. I mean, they've been there before, but this Iowa team has never been there before. This particular roster of 15 has not been there before. How do they handle that? Where do you see them ending up at the end of the year? As far as how they handle that, I think what we've heard even from the end of last season when, you know, people started saying, well, this team could be pretty good last or next season. Uh, and then going through media day and everything is what you're hearing is you just got to embrace that, you know, I was going to be a team with a target on its back in the Big Ten and nationally this season. And I think part of embracing that is like, yeah, let's play a non-conference game against Gonzaga and let's match up with North Carolina and the ACC Big Ten Challenge to get those high-profile matchups. But, you know, I, I think Iowa, along with Illinois, a couple other programs in the Big Ten are going to be in contention to win the conference. And uh, it's it's always a competitive conference. It, Fran said last year was the most competitive he's ever been seen the Big Ten. Um, it could be even more so this season. So, you know, I, I think Big Ten champion is a realistic goal and expectation and as far as the NCAA tournament I, I think this is a team that could go very far. I agree with Robert there there's no reason this team can't win a big Big Ten title they have the pieces to would do so but I think kind of piggybacking off what Robert said <laughs> these 
early season games against Gonzaga and North Carolina are going to be very telling because usually Iowa doesn't have these kinds of games to measure themselves against top tier competition in the country. And now that Iowa is supposed to be one of those teams that can play with them. If they don't keep up, it's going to be very disappointing for for every Iowa fan, and Iowa Twitter is going to be a mess. But if they do keep up, that'll just bump expectations up even more. And heading into the NCAA tournament, I think, is when those expectations will be highest because teams will have to prepare for Luca Garza and the other 80 pieces of this team on like two days rest. You mentioned Twitter. After the, Depending on the result of the Gonzaga game, Iowa is either a massive disappointment or going to win a national championship. I don't think there's a, much of an in-between based on you know the results of that game. There will be like two people on Twitter saying, hey, don't overreact. It's one game. But 98% of people are just going to be wild in one way or the other. Yeah, so hot take Twitter people like me will be out and about that night for sure. Unless I'm covering the game then then I won't be but anyway one thing I will say if I was undefeated going into that matchup with Gonzaga there's always a conversation if you beat number one you are number one I mean do we see a scenario where we're talking about number one top ranked Iowa basketball at some point this season yeah I mean preseason polls are kind of they're fun it's fun to you know, talk matchups and everything, don't tell you a whole lot. So I think if Iowa was in a position where they haven't lost yet and they've looked convincingly good and they beat Gonzaga, who at the time was ranked number one, I think it's a realistic expectation that Iowa would then move up into that spot unless someone, uh, unless the number two or three or whatever team has a, also has a convincing victory where it's a little closer um, in determining who that top team would be. But if all things go well, Iowa could have a, a pretty good path to the, being the top team in the country as far as rankings go. Yeah, I feel like I was not the team to just get that preseason top five respect without a reason. Like Robert said, if they play well, they can definitely get up there if some other teams fall. Like Gonzaga, maybe. It happened in a 2015 almost. They got up to number three when no one expected it. I know I didn't expect that. We'll just have to see where this season takes us, but it's definitely a possibility. So the last thing I wanted to hit on while I wrap up the podcast really quick is people talking about how Iowa should be playing Drake and Northern Iowa and all these other in-state schools in basketball and other sports for that matter. But in men's basketball especially, why do these other teams want the smoke from Iowa? I mean, if I was UNI and if I was Drake and I saw that Iowa was ranked number five in the AP poll, I'd be like, you know what? Pass. I think the conversation's a little bit different between men's and women's basketball and football. The thing with football, UNI is never going to be a helpful win for Iowa. And in men's and women's basketball, you do see UNI be competitive, make the tournament. And at times that can turn into a good if they were to play and Iowa were to win. But, you know, you've got a limited number of, going back to basketball, you've got a limited number of non-conference games each year. You know you're going to play Iowa State. You know you're going to see things like the ACC Big Ten Challenge, and you're probably going to be in a tournament or two. Doesn't leave a whole lot of options, and uh, teams usually fill in the the remaining spots with either a a team that will help further their resume or a a cupcake sort of game. So I guess it just depends on how you kind of look at it. 
Thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, we, we appreciate our guests, Pete Rudin and Robert Reed, for joining us this week. I'm Austin Hansen. My co-host is Siobhan Chahuja. This has been the DI Scoreboard. As always, we are presented by absolutely no one, maybe uh-huh. Johnsonville. We love you guys. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for having me, by the way. Oh, I banged my knee on my desk right as that outro started. I thought you were like slamming your head on the desk because my outro was so bad. I thought you you were slamming your head on your desk because I invited you over. (laughs) (laughs) I guarantee I I invited you over for, I've invited you over multiple times, but you still never showed up. So, I mean. When? For the Colts game. I was working. I'm sorry. Oh, this is getting sad now. Do you want to watch an F1 race? Want to come over for an yeah. F1 race? Come over, come over yeah, on Sunday. I'll see you at 4.30 in the morning. No joke. No joke. <laughs> Robert, no joke. The, the race this Sunday is at 4.10 in the morning. Oh, my. He <laughs> texts me every week and asks us if I'm going to watch. Yeah, and you don't. Huh? This week, I'm not going to watch. All right. Okay. Right in front of us, they were a family was like passing their baby over to Herky for a photo. Why would you give your baby to Herky? And I was because like, you don't want it anymore. It's like the <laughs> <laughs> of dropping it off at a fire station. So I just, you know, kindly said, "Is Herky stealing that baby?" In honor of. <laughs> okay, again, you turned the camera off, but left the audio on for your cough. What's happening today? I don't believe you. I have the memory of an eagle. You have the memory of a rabid squirrel. Do eagles, like, they have good memories or something? I mean, they they, they fly around, but they still know where they live. I'd say that's pretty good memory. Do they live anywhere? The Philadelphia? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) nope. (laughs) <laughs> Knowing where you live is the measure of a good memory, according to Shavanj. I I think so. <laughs> Can we move on before I admit? Other <laughs> yeah, we'd we'd have to preface it by what species you are uh, in terms of memory and how how important remembering where your home is.